Alright, so let's get rocking and rolling. Uh, Romans chapter 3. So if you were here last week, um, uh, I got a long ways into what I was teaching. Not really. Man, it just seemed like I didn't get very far like I thought I was going to. We're going to be in Romans 3 for a while. We're going to camp out here because there's a lot to, to look at. Um, and it doesn't help that uh, it seems like I'm a little slow at times getting through with what God's shown me to do. So uh, just a real quick recap because I don't have uh, time per se. Um, but Romans chapter 1, um, Paul is writing a letter to the church at Rome. He hasn't been there yet, but he sure does desire to get there. So he's got this long introduction. Uh, it's the longest introduction of any of the books he's written. Also, if you'll find out later on. Uh, maybe a couple years from now, who knows, uh, that it's the longest conclusion of any book that he's written as well. But uh, So he gives an introduction, and then we've got the famous, you know, uh, I'm not ashamed of the gospel uh, from faith to faith, you know, Romans 6, 1, 16 and 17. And then he starts uh, in Romans chapter 1, what is going to take him until the middle of Romans chapter 3. And we're not going to get there today, but he starts from uh, Romans 1, so 16, 17, from Romans 1, 18, uh, to the middle of Romans 3, he starts going through and picking apart uh, the the self-righteousness of uh, basically the three groups of people in the world. And his goal in doing that is uh, to make them feel horrible about themselves, right? No, that's not what he's after. He's His goal in doing that is to put everybody on a level playing field. So he starts in Romans chapter 1 for the rest of the chapter addressing the heathen. Uh, those who are lost, that are proud of the fact that they're lost and uh, they really don't care uh, because uh, you know they're on the highway to hell and uh, they're going to get a speeding ticket getting there. Right, they are uh, they're getting after it, and so he addresses uh, the heathen and basically says God has turned you over uh, to all these different things. You can go back and listen to that to a reprobate mind to all these different things and so he addresses the heathen and he condemns them uh, by their own actions uh, and then he goes into chapter 2 in the first part of chapter 2 he addresses the the other class of um, unreligious people you know the self-righteous the uh, I coach my kids ball team I do good things I show up at church every now and then uh, I give to charity um, I'm a good person right and so uh, the the white collar sinners is what I like to call them the uh, the, the, they think that they're better off and they think that they can justify themselves before God. So for the first half of Romans chapter 2, he addresses this group of people. And he says, hey, I understand that you guys are really awesome, but you're not even close to that compared to God. And so he addresses them. The second half of Romans chapter 2, he addresses uh, the third group, the Hebrews, right? The Jews. And so this would be the group that we as Christians would fall into as if we were taking this um, inspirationally. Not because we are the inspirational Jews. That's not what I'm saying. But because we do know uh, right from wrong. We do know the will of God. We know what God has said to do and not to do. And the same thing the Jews did. They knew what God said to do. They just sometimes weren't doing it. Um, and so if we had to inspirationally put ourselves in one of these groups, this would probably be our group. And so for the second half of Romans chapter 2, he uh, says, hey, you, you guys know the will of God. He, he, For a few verses, he really puffs them up. And they're like, yeah, man, Paul, you've been right on. These, these Gentiles, these heathen, they are wicked. And then he's like, yeah, you're right. And he makes them feel really good about themselves just to pull the rug out from under them. Uh, and then he just like, uh, I kind of use the boxing analogy, he just like starts laying on them. He, he goes from boxing to UFC and uh, he's, he's got them down on the mat and he's just like throwing haymakers at these guys. You know, he's laying it on them because he's like, you know why? The Gentiles 
act the way they do? Uh, because of you, the Jews. And they're like, what do you mean? Well, because you're acting like a bunch of hypocrites and they don't want nothing to do with it. And so he basically throws this all on them and he wraps up Romans chapter 2 with his condemnation of the Hebrews, right? And he's just laid it on them. We get to Romans chapter 3 and we've got... Uh, all the way uh, into one verse last week. And so, uh, but we get to Romans chapter 3, and here's what he does. Because he knows what the Jews are going to say. He knows the rebuttal that they're going to have. Why does he know that? Because he just spent, and he's still spending, at least when he's writing this letter, not today. Um, Paul's not eternal. He did die just like all the rest of us are going to. But uh, at the time he's writing this, he's going up and down the coast. He's going to all these different uh, towns, you know, uh, Philippi, um, uh, uh, Antioch. He's going, not Antioch, he was sent from Antioch, but uh, uh, Galatia, all these different towns, Thessalonica. Uh, and he goes, and where does he preach? To the, the synagogue, right? He starts in the synagogue. And so he knows what the Jews are going to say because the Jews say it every time. He gives the same argument. He condemns them the same way that he condemns the the uh, Gentiles. And then he's like, okay, Romans chapter 3 rolls around and he says, now I already know what you're going to say. I already know what you're going to ask because I've been asked every time. Every time I've presented this argument to a group of Jews in the synagogue, these are the questions they ask. And so that's where we find ourselves where we were last week. And so the, there are 11 questions uh, that you'll find right there in the text, uh, right there in, in what we're reading in the first part of Romans chapter 3, that the Jew, and Paul is basically rhetorically asking these questions. Not, not that Paul is asking these questions, but he's like, these are the questions you're going to ask me because I've already heard this argument, right? And so we got through the first two of them. So there was 11 questions. If you weren't here last week, this is what we're going to try to finish up today. 11 questions the religious person has for God. 11 questions the religious person has for God. And so we got into, so Romans chapter 3, you guys are there, let me get there. Um, so Romans chapter 3, he says, because he just like laid it on them, right? Their nose is bloody, they're just like, they're messed up because... He just condemned them for everything that they thought they were doing that was right. Because at the end, it was just self-righteous. In Romans chapter 3, he says, What advantage then hath the Jew? Paul isn't asking that. He's like, but this is what you're going to ask me. What advantage then hath the Jew? Or what profit is there of circumcision? And that's the first two questions. That's the only two questions we got through last week. And so your first two questions uh, were, well, the first one, What advantage is there for being religious? What advantage is there for being religious? And the second question is, what is the advantage of me changing myself to obey God? What is the advantage of me changing myself to obey God? Because those are reworded in a way that we can apply them to our lives. Uh, those were the first two questions. And if you want to uh, go back and listen to that, you can. I need to keep moving. Um, obviously, what advantage is there for being religious? God has given you the promises, right? Uh, you're guaranteed eternal life. You're guaranteed to be the steward of the Word of God. All these different things. And I'm not going to reteach it. So, uh, But remember... To whom much is given, much is required. God's given you a lot, so He's going to require a lot. Uh, and then the second one was, what advantage is, is there of me changing myself uh, to obey God? They were basically saying, what advantage is there of me getting circumcised then? Why did I go through that if I'm not any better than the Gentiles? Well, the picture of that for our life is what? What advantage is there of me laying my life down and changing my uh, my appearance, my life, my the way that I am to be godly if, if there's no benefit in it? Because he just condemned them for that. Well, there's not any uh, uh, 
advantage in physical circumcision, right? But being transformed by the Word of God, there's a ton of profit in that. I can go around the room and you guys could tell me the profit that's in that in your own life. So uh, it's always, I'm sorry, the, the, the key point there was there's always blessing and simple obedience. Right? Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. You guys know that. So Romans 12, 1 and 2. So that was the first two questions. He goes in... Uh, so here's your third one. So let's just keep reading. So Romans chapter 3 and verse 1. He says, What advantage then hath the Jew? Or what profit is there of circumcision? That's what they're asking. Much every way, this is his answer to the first one, chiefly because un, that unto them were committed the oracles of God. He's like, you were given the word of God. Nobody else in the world had that. Is that not enough advantage for you? Uh, he doesn't even answer the second question because he's going to address it in depth in chapter 4. Uh, we'll get there someday. Uh, and then he goes on in verse 3 because here's the next question. For what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make their faith uh, make the faith of God without effect? So there's two more questions. So here's the first one. Here's your third question uh, where we're going to start today. What if someone God is calling decides not to believe? What if someone that God is clearly calling decides not to believe? That's what they're basically asking. Uh, he says, for what if some did not believe? Meaning the Jews, meaning the religious people. What if, what if it was very clear, we've seen it in people's lives before, right? God is definitely working on their heart. God is definitely rocking their world. Uh, he is definitely saying, here am I, are you going to follow? And they just, we've seen it, I've seen it. They just decide, I will someday. But man, I, I've got a party to go to tomorrow. I've got something to do tomorrow, and I can't do that because I'll be hypocritical, right? We've seen that. So that's the next question that they ask. What if someone God is calling decides not to believe? Right? Well, let me, let me ask you a question. If, if they decide, meaning the person that we know that God is all working in their life, <laughs> excuse me, if they decide not to believe, is that on them or is that on God? That's the question they're asking. Is it on them or is it on God? Well, we know. Obviously, it's on them. It's never on God. Well, the question that they're asking is, well, what if they don't believe? Is it on them? Because here's what they're getting at. Here's what they're really trying to uh, pin Paul down with. If God is God, and if God is uh, omnipresent, om omnipotent, all the omnis, right? All, the, all those things. If he, is all, if he is so God that He can... Well, can't He just make them believe? Right? Can't he just uh, work that out for them? That's what they're asking. If is is it really their fault that they didn't believe? Because if God really wanted them to, then couldn't he figure it out? God gave us free will, right? He gave us free will so we don't run around like a bunch of robots. Praise God. Like every one of us is different. Every one of us has the free will chance uh, to follow um, God. So here's an analogy, right? Because this is where my mind's at child training. This is, I'm getting ready to, to try to teach this thing. Let me ask you this, because here's the question they're asking. Uh, isn't it really on God uh, that they decided not to believe? Well, here's, here's a child training example for you. If your kid decides not to obey, is that the kid's fault or the parent's fault? I mean, you've taught them uh, right from wrong. You've taught them what they need to do, right? You can only teach them so much um, at the end of the day, it would be like me saying, your kid is completely out of line. Man, you need to, you need to straighten them up. Well, at the end of the day, okay, you can, you can instill principle. You can instill principle. It's their choice to obey or not, right? We give our kids free will. Now, we train them with the raw, we train them with all these, but we give them free will. It's up to them to decide to uh, obey or not. 
God trains us in His Word. Do you not agree with that? You read the Word and it's like, oh, can't, I shouldn't be doing that. Not can't do that, but I shouldn't be doing that. Oh, I probably ought to be doing that. He trains us, but it's up to you to obey or not. It's up to you to decide, I'm going to get up and read. It's up to you to decide, uh, I'm not going to talk like that. It's up to you to decide, I'm not going to look at that. It's up to you to decide if you're going to be obedient. It's not, it's not on God if you decide not to be obedient. And so that's going to lead right into the next several questions. And man, their argument is completely bogus. We'll get to that in a minute. But remember, remember chapter 1. What happened in chapter 1, the second part? If you decide to be completely rebellious, completely disobedient, completely, what's God say He's going to do? He's going to love you through it, right? Jesus, friend of sinners. You know, yeah, He is. Jesus is a friend of sinners. All those things, right? But if you choose to continue to be deliberately disobedient, He says He's going to do what? He's going to give you up to your reprobate mind. He's going to give you up to the desires of your flesh. He's going to give you up to all those things. It's not God's fault that you're being disobedient. It's not God's fault if you decide not to obey. God can present Himself in your life. There was a time in my life when it was very clear that God uh, had presented Himself. Okay, it's it's decision time, buddy. Um, You can either decide. You've heard the facts. You've heard the truth. You know what you're up against. What are you going to do? And I honestly believe at that time in my life that if I would have been like... uh, slam the door in God's face, that God was going to turn me over. Right? God was going to... It was done. Uh, everything in my life was... He was like, okay. Well, that's not on God if I choose not to do it. Right? But that's what they're asking. What if some don't believe? What if, if, what if we don't believe? Because that's, they're Jews, right? Well, well, what if they just don't believe? What if we just didn't believe the... Because Paul just used the argument of the Ten Commandments, all the rules that you live by, that's what condemns you to hell. Well, we, we thought we were good because we did this. So then they turned the argument to say, well, I didn't believe those anyway, so I'm not condemned. Right? Because he just, okay, well then, if you didn't believe them anyway, you're in group A or B. You just took yourself out of group C, that's fine, but you're still condemned. We talked about them first. Man, you're not catching what I'm picking up, right? Paul's like, man, you're not picking it up. What if someone decides, or well, someone God's calling decides not to believe? It's on them, right? God gives you up so you can't mock His name if you decide to continue to live in that sin, if you continue to go down that road. That's what happens if they decide not to believe. Okay, same verse. He asks another, they ask another question. For what if some do not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? What does that mean? What's he saying? Right? What, what, what does that even mean? Here's your fourth question. What happens to those who are not faithful to the call? So they believe, is what they're meaning, they believe it, so but they're not faithful to the call. This could be right up some of our alley. Now I'm talking about um, in past point, right? Because y'all are uh, you're on fire for Jesus, right? You're you're all going to be here. You're going to have this hallway decorated down here in a week. And Mitchell and Jody are going to be like, man, I don't know what to do, right? Because y'all are so on fire. So uh, I I don't know. I'm not talking to y'all when I say what happens to those who are not faithful to the call. But you, you can you know teach this to somebody later. But what happens? That's what they're asking. What happens to those who are not faithful to the call? So here's the premise to this argument. Here's the premise to what they're trying to say. If God looks good when I obey, shouldn't He look bad when I don't? Right? The premise is, if God looks good when I obey, shouldn't He look bad when I don't? Because, you know, it's up to Him. He's, om- he's, he's omnipresent. He's, he's, I've got the Holy Spirit of God living inside of me. Uh, if He really wanted me to get it done, then He'd get it done. He would make me do it, right? But 
What happens to those who are not faithful to the call? Well, isn't it on God? Isn't that God's fault that, that it doesn't happen? The premise is like, if God looks good when I obey, shouldn't He look bad when I don't? So, another child training example, right? Because it's in my mind to kind of go right along with this. Compare the two. I want to make sure I get this right. What's what? So you got you got like so. Here's the here's the example because I'm sure you've never seen this before, right? I, I like to try to be semi careful with what I say, but uh, so you've got a a four year old, a five year old, a six year old, a ten year old. Who knows? That doesn't get what he wants in Walmart, so they throw themselves on the floor, right? Making the biggest scene in the world. Do they do this at home? No, not really. But they know that they can do it uh, at Walmart because if they make a big enough scene, they'll get what they want. Right? I'm going to make a huge scene and I'm going to get what I want, you know, because I've seen this. Man, you go to Walmart and it's like, if you ever want to see what the world looks like, go to Walmart. I'm telling you. <laughs> it's just the way it is. It's messed up. It's like Walmart, where the world lives, right? That should be their slogan. Um, but So you see these things and so it's like, okay, um, who looks bad in that case? The parent or the kid? But before you answer, let me give you another analogy. Because it's kind of the same, but it's kind of different. You've got a, a 16-year-old, right? Now, now, you're, now you're talking in my wheelhouse, right? You've got a 16-year-old who's just completely rebellious. Now, my 16-year-old's not completely rebellious. He's just semi-rebellious at times. You know, and it just is what it is, guys. Uh, I love my kids to death. You've got a 16-year-old who's completely rebellious, right? Uh, mom and dad say, hey, this is what you need to be doing, and they just don't do it. Um, and so, at the end of the day... Who looks bad? Do the parents look bad or does the kid look bad? Well, it's kind of different, isn't it? In the first scenario, you want to be like, man, if, if the parent would train a little better with their kid, their kid wouldn't always act like that. Now, there's always exceptions to the rule. There's always kids that are going to uh, play that card. And so I'm not saying it's always... I'm just saying the perception is when a kid does something like that, we're like, you know, if, if there was a little more training, it might not be like that. When you've got a 16, 17, 18-year-old kid who's completely rebellious, we look at it like they're just being rebellious, right? Now, obviously, maybe there wasn't quite the training, but there's a different look, right? When they're younger, we like to look at the parent because it's, it's false training. and it's, So that's a false narrative as well. It's not always on the... But when they're older, we're like, man, the kid needs to get his stuff straightened up. You know, and so you've got to be careful there. You got to be careful. So, what does that have to do with what we're talking about? Well, let me try to tell you. If God looks good when I obey, shouldn't He look bad when I don't obey? Right? If God looks good when I obey, no, absolutely not. Right? At the end of the day, it doesn't matter if it's the parent that looks bad or the kid that looks bad. It doesn't matter if the kid's five or he's sixteen. That doesn't matter because at the end of the day, God looks good. But what do you mean? At the end of the day, y'all look bad. Kid, parent, teen, adult, and God looks good. Well, how does that work? Because lack of training leads to lack of results. Right? Lack of training throughout life leads to rebellious kids. Now, there's always an exception to the rule. I'm not talking to anybody in particular. Right? God doesn't look bad in any of it. God looks good throughout the whole thing. Well, how does that work out? Well, let me tell you. Let me tell you. If I say, 
Right. So, so what is? Give, give me something that's completely true, right? Um, uh, the, the Chiefs won the Super Bowl this year, right? Um, unless you go to San Francisco and they're selling posters that say that the 49ers did. I don't understand. But anyway, the Chiefs won the Super Bowl, right? It's that's fact. It's truth. I saw it with my own eyes. Uh, I almost didn't see it because, like, they tried to give it away like they did every other time. But it's, it's truth, right? So if I decide that, well, it's not really true, right? Uh, it, it's not true. It's not happened. Like it didn't happen that way. Does my opinion? Make the truth different? No, truth is truth, no matter what. Truth is truth, no matter what. It doesn't matter how you look at it, how you twist it, how you turn it. Truth is truth. Truth does not become false because you don't believe it. Oh, that's a little different, right? It's no different that the Chiefs won the Super Bowl because I don't believe it. They did. It's no different that your kid is rebellious because you don't believe it. It's no different that you're, uh, uh, you fill in the blank, right? Child training is in my head, so I'm just... Uh, it, just because you don't believe something doesn't mean it's not true. Let me bring this a little closer to home because you're not tracking with what I'm thinking. Doctrine does not become personal preference because you don't believe it. What the Bible says about something authoritatively, you shouldn't do that, right? doesn't become, well, those people don't like it, but I do, Right? Because you don't believe it. What Paul said in Romans chapter 1 about homosexuality doesn't become personal preference because it's 2020 because you don't believe it. The Bible says what it says. You just believe what you believe. Right? It doesn't change it. So, what does that have to do with what we're talking about? Your unbelief or unfaithfulness. Because remember, the question was, what happens to those who are not faithful? Your unbelief or unfaithfulness... It only looks God look more holy, not less holy. It's, it's, it starts to show. You might, some people are like, well, if I, uh, as a Christian, act like a fool, doesn't God look bad because of that? No. It makes you look like a fool. It makes you look worse. God still looks better because of it. Well, how does that work? Because God's still holy, and you're still showing that you're not. Right? God's still on the throne, and you're still showing that you've got a lot of work to do. Well, when I when I act good, why doesn't God get the, God gets the glory for that? Why when I act bad, shouldn't He not get the glory? No, you're right. When you do something that's right and righteous, God does get the glory for it. When you do something that's not, it's not the other way around. He's still holy, always going to be, always will be, right? He was holy before time began. He's holy when time ends, which it doesn't. He's always going to be. So the, the, the argument that they're trying to say, well, uh, what ha- if I'm not, you know, if I'm not faithful, then God's going to look bad. That's not the case. Doctrine doesn't become personal preference because you don't believe it. That's what he's saying. Hey, hey, Jews. Hey, Christian. Just because you don't believe that you're supposed to be in the ministry, just because you don't believe that you're supposed to be involved, just because you don't believe that God's talking to you, doesn't change the fact that God's talking to you. He goes on. He goes on. And the next several questions kind of all go together. And I'm going to lump these together. I'm going to give... They're, they're different questions, but they're all of the same premise. And I want to try to get through them because it's going to say the same thing. So let me just kind of get through uh, the next uh, several verses and I'll give you the questions. So, uh, for what if some do not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? Verse 4. He says, God forbid. Anytime God, or Paul says, God forbid... Uh, he's hacked off. He's not happy. right? There are several times if you study out the times that he says, God forbid, he's like, man, you are not picking up what I'm throwing down. That line of thinking is nonsense. He says, God forbid 
Yea, let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written, that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings, and mightest overcome when thou art, thou art judged. But if our unrighteousness... So here's the next argument that they want to present. And they really stick to this one. And like the farther we're removed of it, it sounds ludicrous, but they're really sticking to this argument. But if our unrighteousness commend the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God, uh, God unrighteous who taketh vengeance? I speak as a man. God forbid, for then how shall God judge the world? For if the truth of God hath more abounded through my lie unto his glory, why yet am I also judged as a sinner? And not rather... Rather, as we be slanders reported, as some affirm that we say, let us do evil that good may come, whose damnation is just. So, what exactly is he saying? What exactly... Well, so, I had you guys, that was your task, not assignment, task for last week. So, these next several questions, what exactly are they... What's the argument they're trying to present? Somebody give it to me that's not in HBI and didn't just hear this yesterday. Um, um, what, what, what is the argument? Meredith, I know you did the homework. What is what what is he trying to present? Huh? If God's holy all the time, then our unrighteousness are bad. God still looks good. That's 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 right. That's that's right in line. That's their argument. They're trying to say they're trying to say, and I'm gonna give you the questions in a minute, but here's their process of thinking for the next several questions. If my bad makes God look good. You know, because if so, if I'm bad, it just shows God's righteousness even more. And aren't I like doing him a favor by doing bad things? Like I'm making him look better, right? Uh, because I'm acting like a fool, God's looking even more holy than he already is. He should thank me for that. That is their argument. Over the next several questions, that's their argument. So here's your next question uh, as far as they go. Um, so number four, we already got that one. Number five, so here's the next one. If my sin makes God's glory shine brighter, am I really that bad? If my sin makes God's glory shine brighter, am I really that bad? That's the first question. I'll give them to you as we go. But, uh, well, once again, I've got a child training example. Analogy. Right? Everybody got it written down? Here's your analogy. Because if my sin makes God's glory shine brighter, am I that bad? Here's your analogy. Does a disobedient child make their Christian parent look holy? No! No, they don't. A disobedient child doesn't make me think, uh, man, their parent looks really good right now. That's not the way it works. Right? Uh, and obviously, a Christian parent isn't comparable to God, but it's the same premise, right? No. Uh, it shows lack of something somewhere. Um, that's what it shows, right? God was holy before He ever created you or I, so He doesn't need our help with that. He doesn't need your help with Him looking good. He looks good all along, right? It's like, it's like guys, now I know, you're going you're gonna to pick up what I'm saying here. It's like, does your wife really need your help to look good? No. She looks good before you ever married her, right? She doesn't need your help. So quit trying to say, hey, why don't you do this? Or, hey, why don't you do that? She's got it figured out, okay? She doesn't need your help. She doesn't need you suggestions, right? Hey, why don't you cut that hair? Uh, hey, why don't you do this? It doesn't work like that. She had it figured out before you married her enough so you married her, so uh, it doesn't work like that. God doesn't need your help to make him look good. He looks good in the first place. That's the way it works. Now, before you all get offended, I'm not saying your wife looks good. Uh, I'm saying she better look good in your eyes. So that's what I'm saying. Um, anyway. <laughs> this, this thought process 
is, is what's known as uh, a cloak of maliciousness. Have you ever heard that phrase? Somebody read 1 Peter 2.16. 1 Peter 2.16. Somebody read that. Uh-huh. It is. I want somebody to read it. First uh, Peter two sixteen. As free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Right. So basically what that means is as Christians, we at times now like again, once again, not past point, right? Because y'all y'all got it figured out. Um, but at times, I've seen Christians, uh, and Paul has seen Christians, as, or Peter at this time, uh, his writing, is, has seen Christians that use their liberty in Christ, the fact that uh, they have liberty to do whatever they want, uh, to basically make God look bad in it, use it as a cloak of malicious. They use their liberty, uh, what does a cloak do? It like covers you up. Right, and so it, they use it to cover up the fact that what they're doing uh, is only hurting people around them, uh, the name of God, all these different things. Right, and so that's the same thing. What they're doing when they say, "Isn't my sin just making God look good?" Uh, no, your sin makes you look bad. Um, you're using your liberty and Christ to do whatever you think you need to do, um, and you're making God. You're like, "Well, that's going to make." It's going to make God look good because I'm doing it, right? No. You're using your liberty as a cloak. That's what that verse means. You're using it as a cloak of maliciousness. Here's a phrase that you might want to just pick up or at least hear it. God's going to use your good to glorify Him and your bad to condemn you. He will use the good things that you do to give Him glory and the bad things you do to bring Him down, right? No. He's going to use the good things you do to bring Him glory and the bad things you do to condemn yourself. Well, how does he do that? Because he's God. That's how he does that. Right? He looks good all the time. Right? He looks good all the time. That's the way it works. Here's the next question, number six, that goes right along with this same argument. Can God justly judge me if sin is really only helping him in the long run? That's what they're asking. Can God justly judge me if sin's really only helping him in the long run? But if our unrighteousness come in the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unrighteous who taketh vengeance? I mean, is, is He the unrighteous one here? Because really, I'm just helping Him out. I'm just helping Him out. One more time. Uh, can God justly judge me if sin is really only helping Him out in the long run? Uh, the answer, just real quick, if you like getting ready to leave, yes, He can justly judge you. Uh, and He will. So just throwing that out there. Let me give you an analogy to make this make sense, right? Not child training this time. No, not this time. Not this time. I took this one right out of my HBI notes. This is like a drug dealer saying that the police should thank him for giving him job security. Right? Yeah. I'm just that, that, that premise of that, that premise of thinking is like the drug dealer saying. The police ought to thank me because they've got a job tomorrow because of me. Right? God can't judge me. I'm helping them out. The police can't. They can't. That's, that's the same premise, right? That's the same premise. But guess what? God not only can, but will judge you according to your deeds. It's like that statement, and I've never heard this praise God in my life, um, but I've heard it on TV. Uh, it's like the statement, anything you can, or anything you say can and will be used against you in the court of law. Right? Anything you say 
not only can, but it will be used against you. Right? Anything that you do, not only can, but will be used against you when you stand before Christ. Right? That's how this works. Anything you say can and will be used against you. Anything you do can and will be used against you. Now, I'm not saying that God's going to judge you for your sin. If you're saved today, that was taken care of on the cross. But man, those false works, they're going to burn up quick at the judgment seat of Christ. And it's going to be like, okay, so now what? So now what? The drug dealer, the police don't owe the drug dealer nothing. Just like God doesn't owe you nothing. Now, yes, He can justly judge you. That is absolutely the case. God will use your disobedience to show His glory but He definitely does not need you to do that. Right? Yeah, He'll use your disobedience to say, hey, uh, this is an example. Right? It's no different than uh, when we're teaching. We use examples of uh, things that have happened in life uh, to prove a point. God will use you acting like an idiot as an example to say, I'm still holy. But He doesn't need it for that. He was holy in the first place. So yeah, if, if you acting like a knothead uh, makes God look good, He's going to use that. And he's going to say, yeah, uh, it just shows that you're still not holy, and I still am holy. But he doesn't need that. He was holy in the first place. So no, uh, there is no question of can God justly judge you. Yes, he can, and he will. What is, what is the verse? I couldn't find it uh, when I was typing this out. Uh, uh, it says that if we don't give God the glory, even the rocks are going to cry out. Right? Even, the, even creation itself will cry out. He doesn't need us. He desires to use you, right? He doesn't need you to go hold a baby. He doesn't need you to work in the sound booth. He doesn't need you to teach the kids. But man, if, you, if you're willing, He'll use you and He'll allow you to you know, put some fruit to your account because of it. It's just benefit to you. But He doesn't need you to do all that. He doesn't need that. That's what they're saying, man. They're like, is God unrighteous who taketh vengeance I speak as a man? Well, let's get into... Verse 6. Here's your next question. Question number 7. Am I tracking? Is that the right one? Question number 7. Okay, question number 7. How can God judge me if He really needs me to be bad? Quote, unquote, needs me to be bad. Can God judge me if He really needs me to be bad? You know, because if I'm not bad, then He doesn't really look that good. No, like I said, these are all pretty much the same question over and over again. They're really stuck on this argument. Like, the Jews are really like, man, if, so if we don't do this, then God's not going to look as good. Can God judge me if He really needs me to be bad? We've already discussed it, right? Verse 6. God forbid, for then how shall God judge the world? He doesn't need you to be bad. He's going to judge the world by the fact that He's just and holy. That's how He's going to do it. Moving on. I don't, I'm not even going to, to go over all that. We just talked about it all. Number 8. If my bad... And so this is... This is kind of the wrap-up of, of what we're, we're talking about here. If my bad helps show God's good, can He really judge me for helping prove His point? And they're all the same thing, just reworded, the same way that in your Bible, they're all the same question, just reworded. Right? Uh, if my bad helps show God's good, can He really judge me for helping prove His point? Yes and Yes. <laughs> Because verse 7, they ask the same question again. For if the truth of God hath more abounded through my lie unto His glory, why am I also judged in the sinner? What they're saying is, if God's truth only shows brighter because I lied, 
doesn't doesn't that really make make him look brighter because of it? That same question, right? Same thing we've just talked about. I'm skipping right on to the next one. I don't want to spend a bit. Okay. Uh, the, the number eight, the number nine. If my, if my bad helps show God's good, can He really judge me for helping Him uh, for helping prove His point? It's the same question, just reworded. The same thing. It's the same thing He's been asking over and over again. The same thing, because as He's going through teaching in the synagogues, they're asking him the same questions. We're really just making Him look good, right? That's why we're doing this. No, that's not why you're doing it. You're doing it because you're bound to it. Number nine. Now, they changed the argument just a little bit. Still on the same premise, but there's a little more to it. Number nine. Why can't I just do evil? Or why can't I just sin, if you want to call it that, and expect God to work it out for good? So now we're not talking about making God look good. But at the end of the day, if He's God, can't He really just take any of my works and make them look good? So, why can't I just do evil and expect God to work it out for good? Well, where did I get that? How did I get that? Well, go to verse 8, and I'll show you how I got that. I'm going to read this verse. I'm going to take the parentheses out, right? Because that's something that Paul interjected in the middle of the question. So, here's the question that they ask in verse 8. And not rather, uh, let us do evil that good may come. We take the parentheses out, that's what it says. Can't we just do evil and allow God to work it out for good? That's what they're asking. Uh, no. No. No, no, and no. Instead, so, again, here's an analogy. Instead of, uh, instead of walking tacos, let's sell drugs in the foyer to help pay for the India trip, right? You know, we can probably make more money. <laughs> I mean, why can't I just do evil and just think God's going to work it out for his good, right? He's God. I mean, so if we're gonna, if we're if we're after the most bang for our buck, come on now, are we really gonna make that much money selling tacos? Let's sell drugs, right? Like I don't. So I'm gonna have to defer to some of y'all because I don't even know where to get drugs to sell them. But um, well, there you go, right? So uh, <laughs> that's the, that's the premise there. So God's gonna work it out for His good. So why can't we just do it? Well, here's another one for you, right? Here's another one for you. While we're at it, let's start a, a bar and brothel ministry to help pay for the new playground equipment, right? Because we want to make sure our kids get something to play, play with, right? We're after the most bang for our buck. Can't we just do evil and allow God to work it out for good? And this is the last thing Yeah. The question is... Right. No, so the question is... That's so I put... When I read it, it's like, well, that's a dumb argument. But when I, when I put it into like a personal analogy, it's like, that's ludicrous, Right. I can't believe you said that. That's what they're asking. Can I just do whatever I want and just allow God to work it out? And really, if I'm going to do whatever I want, why don't we go ahead and get the most bang for our buck while we do it, right? It's crazy. It's ludicrous. Yes, that argument is stupid. Now, if you read the parentheses, right, to put it into to context, because that's why he put it in there, and not rather, as we be slanderously reported, slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say, let us do evil, good may come, whose damnation is just. What does that mean? What is he getting at when he says that? Well, let me tell you. Huh? He says, people are, te- people are saying this about me. Paul's like, you've heard people say this about me, and here's why they say it. 
I don't say that. I don't say that. That's not what I'm saying. You've taken my words and you've twisted them, right? You ever said that in an argument? People thought that since Paul believed in eternal security, that meant people can sin and get away with it and that God would just bless them in the end. You can't lose your salvation anyway, so why does it matter if you sin? Well, we'll get to that in chapter 6. Shall we continue in sin that God may, or that grace may abound? Once again, you hear God forbid. Right? Once again. That's what they're saying. Well, Paul, you believe that you can, you believe in eternal security. So you're basically saying you can do whatever you want. And he's like, as we have been slanderously reported, I don't teach that. Right? And so just in case that's what you thought, that's not what I meant. That's not what I meant. The Christian will be chastised for their sins, but not damned for their sins. That's what eternal security teaches. You're going to be chastised for the things that you do, but you're not going to be damned for the things that you do. Christ died for those. Now, if you act like an idiot, yeah, you're going to get a spanking for it. It's no different than with your kids. Your kids disobey for one, just one too many times. It's like, you know what? I'm not spanking you this time. I'm kicking you out. You're damned. I'm out. I'm done. No, you're going to get chastised over and over and over again because that's what happens. Right? Can I threaten that? No. 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 They will be condemned, chastised, but they won't be condemned. I'm sorry. They'll be, con- they'll be chastised but not condemned. That's how that works. Right? That's how that works. Why? Because you love them too much to kick them out. Right? Not too much to spray them in the face with a water gun, but, you know. (laughs) (laughs) No. I mean, a spanking them's not working. I've seen this work with a cat. Let's spray it with a squirt bottle. Stop acting like that. Right? Hey, I'm willing to try it. I just said, we were talking last night. It was just really funny. I don't think he really meant it, but I mean. <laughs> the Christian will be chastised for their sins, but not damned for their sins. And here's the last two, and I'll get through them fairly quickly because it, he changes the argument, but here's what he says. Uh, he gets to verse 9. And so here's their last question. They're like, what then? So basically that's their way of saying, so what? Right? I'm done with your argument, Paul. This is stupid. So what? He says, what then? Are we better than they? No, in no wise. For we have both, or before proved, both Jews and Gentiles, that they are all under sin. So what does that mean? Here's your, here's your uh, tenth question. So what is the point of being religious anyway? He's like, what then? So what? What's the point of being religious anyway? That's what they're asking. Well, here, let me tell you really quickly, and then we'll get to the last one. What then? So what? Well, here's what. If your purpose or goal in Christianity is to look or be religious, then this is what you're going to find yourself asking a lot. What's the point? What's the point? If it's all about putting on a facade, then every day, at the end of the day, you're going to be like, what is the point in this? If If that's what you're after, then that's what you're going to be asking. So what? What then? If you haven't realized yet that your walk in Christ was never and never will be about you in the first place, then now might be the time to make that connection. It's not about you. It never has been about you. And shocker, it never will be about you. It's about God. You were created with a purpose. What is it? Well, I was going to ask you guys, right? But I knew you were all going to say it's to be happy, so that's wrong. Um, Your purpose is not to be happy. Your purpose is not to be fulfilled. It's not to be any of those things. Your purpose is found in Revelation 4.11, where it says you were created 
with a purpose to do what? Hmm? To please God. To bring God glory. Why did God create you? So you could be like the next greatest this, that, or the other. Nope, God created you to bring Him glory, to please Him. It's not about you. It never will be about you. You just get benefits along the way. Right? And so, what then? So what? Well, that's what. You're here to bring God glory. And here's the last question, and I'm going to like go through the, the question. Uh, so here's the last one. Uh, what then? Are we better than they? This is the, the last question, and Paul's like, okay, one last time I'm going to explain this to you. The Jews are like, so what? Are we better than the Gentiles or not, Paul? What are you trying to say? Here's your question. Does my religion really even make me any better than the lost? Does my religion really make me, really even make me any better than the lost? That's the question. So I'm going to go through the verse word for word, and I'm just going to kind of interject what Paul's trying to say because he's finally done with this argument. After this verse, he has finally come to the end of condemning the heathen, the good sinner, right? No such thing, but that group of people and the Jew. And he's went through every question that they're going to have, every rebuttal they're going to have. And so after this verse, he can speak in uh, very all-inclusive terms. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. He doesn't have to say, well, not the Jews, not the Everybody. He has condemned everybody at this point. So here's what he's saying. Are we even any better than the Gentiles at this point? That's what he's asking. Okay, so let's walk through it. He says, what then? Well, here's what. Here's what. Are we... So when he says we, he's talking about the Jews, the religionists, right? The circumcised, uh, the good Catholic, the good Muslim, the, the good Christian, the good Hindu. Are we, that's what he's saying, are we better than they? Well, who is they? Well, the Gentile sinner. The heathen, the dirty, the, the prostitutes, the thugs, the, the, the drug dealers, the, all those things. Are we the people who are doing what we need to be doing, right? I'm a good Christian. Am I better than them? That's, that's what they finally boil it down. And they're just like, here's the question. Are we better than they? And here's Paul's answer. No and no wise. But why not? We keep the commandments. We walk the, the eightfold path. We, per, we practice, you know, our, our yoga and we do all those things, right? We do all the right things. We keep the sacraments if I'm a Catholic. Uh, we, we make our, our, our haji to Mecca if I'm a Muslim. Why aren't we better than those who don't do those things? That's their question. Are we better than they? Because I'm doing all these things. He says no and no wise. But why not? Paul says, for we have before proved, we didn't just say it, I have went through three or two and a half chapters now of proving why. I'm not just come up with these things. I'm not just rambling along. I have proved what? I didn't just state it, that both Jews and Gentiles, that they are all under sin. That's what it all boils down to. That's what we spent the last now eight weeks going over. Paul, for the first two and a half chapters of Romans, he's like, hey, I'm writing you a letter. Good to, good to, good to be finally talking to you. Now here's, here's what I got to say. For two and a half chapters, it doesn't matter if you're a Gentile, if you're a Jew, if you're somewhere in between, if you're a Christian, if you're any of those things, what are we? We are all one thing, bound to sin. We are all guilty. Now, if we're a Christian, obviously what? We're saved by the blood of Christ. Now, so we know that. I'm not saying that you're bound. But in general, the population of the world has a problem. It doesn't matter who you are. And So Paul, he's really smart. And I know I'm over time, but he's really smart because he's like, 
I already knew that some of you were going to use these arguments and those arguments and I'm not as bad as that person and I'm better than this person. And He's like, here's the deal. Before I even get into what I need to say to you, I need to make sure everybody's on a level playing field. Before I can even tell you what you need to hear, why I'm writing this letter, I'm going to spend two and a half chapters. There weren't even chapters at the time, but I spent however many pages getting you all on the same playing field. That way we can have this conversation. Because if, if he would have just jumped right into the middle of chapter 3 and wrote this letter, then everybody would have been like, well, he's not talking to me, he's talking to them. Or he's not talking to me, he's talking to them. So he, he makes sure at the very beginning, I'm talking to everybody. I'm talking to the, the jacked up sinner. I'm talking to the Christian who can't get right. right, And everybody in between. That's who we're talking to. And so that's, that's it. That's the first two and a half chapters. So now he's going to start speaking in very all-inclusive terms starting next week. right? And he's, he's pretty bold about what he says. But he's got everybody on a level playing field. So if you thought that you know, you're better than your sinner neighbor, really you're not. Because at the end of the day, you were lost just like they were or are. So what do we need to do? Give them the gospel. Give them the hope that you've got. right? So that's what he means. So what? Are we better than they? No. You all understand. That's what Paul says. He could have just started there, but so many people wouldn't have got it. Let's pray. Father God, I love you. I thank you for today. I thank you, I thank you for just uh, loving us, Lord. I thank you for the Passpoint class. I pray you just use us this week. Send us out as lights in the dark world that you would just uh, allow us to be a part of what you're doing. Uh, Lord, I do pray that we would find ways to be involved in the, the VBS and the, the Vision Conference stuff and uh, just really everything that's going on. Uh, I still pray for uh, the Skulls family. I pray for Holly and Brady. Uh, Holly especially, Lord, just uh, uh, trying to uh, uh, bring up the, the twins in her belly. So, Lord, I pray you just be with her. Uh, give her good health, Lord. Uh, allow us to, as a class, help them out. Uh, Lord, we pray for uh, just everything that's going on in our lives uh, and people's lives that you would just uh, allow us to be ambassadors for you. Uh, in Christ's name, amen. So, tasks. So, sorry. Um, uh, huh? I don't have I don't have a lot because we're going to be in chapter three for a while, so you can either take this as a uh, little bit of a off week. I still want you to read. Don't give me that look, Meredith. You already wrote down read chapter three five times and read all of Romans one. That's exactly right. That's what we do, right? I want you to start looking, start looking for not only a key word but a key verse in chapter three, both of them, right? Start looking for that. And start looking for the all-inclusive statements that he's got moving on in the rest of the chapter. Okay? We'll talk about the beginning class next week. Yes, ma'am. So one thing that me and Chris have been doing um, since our PBS theme is God's attributes and reading the chapters and trying to find God's attributes in the book. Mm. And we found, like, That's really cool. It's been a good study. Yeah. You should be able to find God in any part of the Bible, right? And so 